Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, is where we'll be today. So read along with me. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly, till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my tool, and this was my reward for all my tool. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the tool that I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Father, we ask you again now, that the words that we've sang, that you are all that we need, would be the same posture, the same, the same position that we put ourselves in now as we come before your word, to really believe that, that you are enough, that you are all that we need, and that even in the many good gifts of the world, none of them compare to you, the great giver of all good things. We pray now as we look into your word that you would give us expectant, eager hearts to hear from you. We pray that we would not be passive but active listeners, that we would listen not only to the words of a man but that we would be listening for your spirit to take what is true and to put the spotlight on our hearts and on the hope of the gospel that we have in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Well, I heard a song somewhere a few years ago. I don't know if this song's super popular or what, but I remember as I was hearing it out in public somewhere and the words to it, I looked around and I noticed that evidently it was popular because people were just mouthing it, sort of singing it. It sort of been just like this really catchy tune and seemed to have this like message, though, that I couldn't believe was just like so easily sort of accepted. So here was the song. I want to be a billionaire. Really bad. Or he said, so freaking bad. Don't use that word, kids. I want to buy all the things I never had. I want to be on the cover of Forbes magazine, smiling next to Oprah and the Queen. And every time I close my eyes, I want to see my name in shining lights. Yeah, a different city every night. I swear the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. 
I would have a show like Oprah. I would be the host of Everyday Christmas. Give me a wish list. I'd probably pull off an Angelina and Brad Pitt and, a bunch, and adopt a bunch of babies that never had anything. Give away a few Mercedes. Like, here, lady, have this. And last but not least, grant somebody their last wish. I'd probably visit where Katrina hit and for sure do a lot more than FEMA did. We're in a recession, but let me take a crack at it. I'd probably take whatever's left and just split it up so everybody I love could have a couple bucks. And not a single tummy around me would know what hunger was. Everyone eating good, sleeping soundly. And then he says this, that the people all around me seem to kind of agree with, at least by their nodding heads and mouthing words. I know we all have a similar dream. Go in your pocket and pull out your wallet and hold it in the air and sing. Now, why does that seem to resonate with people? In a lot of ways, that's the gospel according to the United States of America. If I could just be a billionaire, if I could just have everything I wanted, then life would be great. And you know what? I would be the one who would be good with it. You know, let me have a crack at it, God. That's what he's saying. Let me have a try. Let me be the one with all this stuff. Let me be the one with all the money. There's a big assumption behind all of this. What do you guys think the assumptions are? Let's think out loud a little bit this morning. What's the assumption behind that song? No right or wrong answer. Yeah, you'd, you'd have it better, you'd do it better. Good. Money buys happiness. Money makes you generous. Money can fix our problems. Yeah, those are great. Probably more. We often think if we just had this possession or we just had the money to pursue our pleasures, our projects, or the power, then our lives would be fulfilled. That we would finally be able to overcome that emptiness we feel inside. Or for those of us who maybe have a little more measured expectations, many people would say, well, I, you know, I know it wouldn't make me happy, but it sure would make it better. Or to some people I've heard, as, as we spend a lot of time with people who don't have a lot, you know, well, if you say money won't make me happy, you only say that because you have money. Or you've never been poor. Many would say the reason that song resonates, even among some of the most poor and impoverished people, is because it gives them a hope and a dream that they don't have, and so they're just going to live through this sort of fantasy of fulfillment through the things of the world. But what Ecclesiastes is telling us here, and what many of us know maybe even from our own experiences, it's just not as simple as that. All those assumptions may feel true, but in experience, they're not true. Ecclesiastes is on a quest for all of us in this under-the-sun life. And we remember that under-the-sun is not just talking about an earthly perspective apart from a view of God. 
but it's talking about the frustrating reality of life for believer and unbeliever alike in a fallen world as fallen people. Remember we said last week, just because you're a believer, that doesn't mean now life all of a sudden is not frustrating. That doesn't mean all of a sudden life for you is not fallen. Life is not fleeting. And life is not futile. That's what we believe Solomon is meaning here by this word vanity. Or when it's translated meaninglessness. Or futility. Life is frustrating. It's elusive. Right when you think you've got it. It's gone. Where'd it go? Grasping the wind. It's fleeting. Just when you've started to enjoy something, it's gone. Just when you think you're starting to, to, to get in your groove, something happens. And for many who've gotten older, just when they may think they've started to live, it's time to die. And life is futile. That is, the purpose for which God's created this world, things just are disordered and broken. It's a cursed world. So Solomon has tested education versus the futility, and it failed. That's what we looked at last week. What if I just become the just really smart, really wise, and, and, and he, he did. But then he said, the fool down the street and me both die. And the fool down the street might actually seem to have it better a lot of days. It failed, and so we saw how Jesus was the better wisdom. This week we see Solomon sets out to test the pleasure of possessions. What we're called to, to, to respond to this week is to believe that we must find a better fulfillment for the futility of life than the pleasure of possessions. That's where we're headed this morning. That's where everything's going. That we must find a better fulfillment to the futility of life than the pleasure of possessions. So how are we led down this path? First, we're going to see how he helps us test out the pleasures. Second, how the pleasures fail, the test results. And third, how we're called to something better. So verses 1 through 9, we see Solomon pursues the defeat of the futility of life through pleasure. Verse 1, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Solomon says, we're going to have a treat yourself season of life. Whatever I want, I get it. I'm going to enjoy it. I'm going to live it up. There, there is no restrictions. There is no bounds. Whatever I want, I get. Hey, if wisdom doesn't work, why not just have fun? When I tried the whole education route, that didn't really work. So who cares? Let's just have a big party all of life. Maybe where some of you guys are, you're like, man, I wish I could have a crack at that. Guess what, Solomon? He got the crack at it. He had the riches and the resources to do it, too. He had the access. So he could, he could really test this out. You and me probably couldn't test it out so much. He can. That's what we see lined out. So the first thing is laughter or comedy. Verse 2, I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? So just imagine, he's like, I'm going to have the most laughs. 
Right? Some of you may have friends or you who the majority of your relationship exists in quoting movies like Dumb and Dumber or something like that. You get together with certain people and it's just right a movie quote after movie quote. It's fun. Some of you in here, you love to laugh. Solomon tried it. He maxed it out. Not only laughter, but drink or food or substance. Verse 3, I searched with all my heart how I might cheer my body with wine. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom. So we know that, that many people in our world, right, this is how, you know, through alcohol, they pursue a fulfilled life. Some want to deal with the futility through laughter and comedy, some through drink, but not just drink, but through food or through substances. In all of these, we have to see Solomon is not just talking about the bad use of these things. No, that's why he says, my heart's still guiding me with wisdom. So you can't look at this list and say, well, this is just people who abuse these things. No, Solomon's saying, yes, some people choose these things in abuse. Other people do these things with wisdom. And so he did it. He was the, probably the greatest connoisseur of wine, fine drinks, and fine food. And he did it all. And not just that, but craftsmanship or art. Verse 4, I made great works. Great works. He was a creator. He tried the creativity path, the trade path the ultimate hobby path, the artistic path, the development path. And he had every resource he could to do that. He tried the houses path, also in verse 4. Notice he said, not only I made great works, but I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. Just imagine he designed his dream house. He would have had a MTV Cribs. That dates me. I remember that was a show a long time ago. Right? His, his episodes would have been the best. You ladies who like to watch HGTV or men. Right? House hunters. Right? How do, how do these teachers in some of these states afford million dollar houses? I don't know. That's my big takeaway from watching those shows. Like, what? But anyway, Solomon, he, he could have it. He could have the best one. What's his budget? They show him, and we'll get to that in a minute. He's, who knows how many wives he's got with him on the show, right? And they pull up the budget numbers. It's like, no number. Whatever I want. I get it. If you read in 1 Kings, you see, I think, I believe it took seven years for Solomon's house to be built. So ever how nice you think your house of choice would be, his was better. Ever how great you think your yard would be, his was better. And so lands, verses 5 and 6, I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. So many of us, ooh, we'd like to live close to a park. Solomon says, I'll just have parks for myself. He had the land. For us hunters, right? He, he had his... He could go hunt wherever he wanted. Best land. Best opportunity. He had pools. Now he says here this is just to water his trees, but go swimming in them too, right? 
the best house, the best land, the best stuff. And in all that, we have to see that these were projects too. Because for many of us, it's not just the possession. It's like the project, right? I get to design my own house. I get to design my own land. I get to manage my own property. He got to do all that. He got to pursue pleasure in possessions. He got to pursue pleasure in the projects that came along with these possessions. But also, there was some power that came along with it. And we see this in verse 7. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. So do you ever just think, you know, I could get a lot more done if I had people who would just help me and do what I wanted me to do what I wanted to do. He had it. He had people who had to do what he said. So if he wanted to work or whether or not he wanted to work that day, he could still get it done. So he had the power to pull off his projects. And time left over. You're like, well, I don't want to do that. That would consume my life. Well, it didn't have to consume his life. Somebody else do it for him. Also, possessions. Of course, this stream runs through them all. In verse 7, I had great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. That's a big statement. And we know how Abraham was great if you read back. We know how Isaac and Jacob, and although they didn't dwell in Jerusalem, what, what Solomon is saying here is that in the, in the history of my people, I've got the best stuff. What's amazing about this is you look into 1 Kings, you see that foreign travelers like queens are coming to Solomon and they're saying, you beat us. So in all of the known world, Solomon had the best stuff, and whatever that is for you, right? Whether it's the, the TV, that, the home entertainment system beyond your dreams, whether it's the workshop, the guitar, the kitchen appliances, the certain laundry room, he could have it. And he had real money. Notice verse 8, I gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces, so not just paper money banked on some gold somewhere, Fort Knox or wherever it's kept, right? He had the gold. He had music and entertainment, verse 8. I got singers, both men and women. I just think some of you are like, I don't need stuff, but I like experiences. He had them. I mean, think, if you could think right now, who are your top five bands that you would like to see in concert all together like in one night or one week. I was thinking that would be pretty awesome. Well, he could do that at his house. I'm going to have them over to my house to play. And if Solomon wanted to jam with them, he could. Right? He's the king. The best entertainment. The best shows. And then also this, and uh, I try to speak of this delicately, he had many concubines. The lights of the sons of men. And what a, a concubine was, was basically a woman who was there to serve at your pleasure, but without the commitment of a marriage. But she was still legally bound to you and your desires and needs. We read in 1 Kings that Solomon had 700 wives and 300 concubines. 
So Solomon got to test out this pleasure, right? What does it look like? I've got, and I don't, I don't even know. Love my wife. One's, one's plenty. But anyway, praise the Lord. Uh, 700. So he got to try out, I can have these pleasures with relationship, and I can have them with no commitment. So I can try it with commitment, with no commitment. And he maxed it out. And then we see in verse 9, this sort of summary statement of how he pursued this. I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. So he had the recognition. He had the possessions. He had the pleasures. He had the projects. He had the power. He had the people. And he had this position over them all. And then he says this phrase, and my wisdom remain with me. What this shows us is although Solomon is not always acting in God-honoring ways, is he's not an idiot. Because what many people want to say, yeah, but if I had all that stuff, I would be the one who handled it wisely. And because I handled it wisely, therefore, therefore it would fulfill me. Solomon's saying is, no, you would not have done any better. I'm the one who God said, what do you want? I'll give you anything. And I said, wisdom, and he gave it to me. And, and I tried all of these things out with this wisdom. It still wasn't enough. I mean, we look at these verses, don't we? And it looks like sort of this epic hip-hop video or bro country video, if that speaks more your language of just people just like, whatever we want, right? To the, to the max. This wants you to feel that. Imagine you're Aladdin, and the genie, genie everybody you pronounce that right, shows up at your house this afternoon and says, you can have whatever you want. That was the life Solomon lived. What's always our first request that the genie says we can't have, right? Whatever, as many wishes as I want. Well, it was as if Solomon actually got to have that as one of his requests. I want an unlimited, unrestricted, uninhibited exploration of the pleasure of possessions, projects, people, and power in this world. And he got it. If that doesn't intrigue you a little bit in here this morning, you're probably either dead or in denial. We've all got to ask ourselves, what is your if only? If only I had this, I think I'd have peace in my life. If only I had this, the disorder would be overcome. If only I had this, I wouldn't be frustrated. If only I had this, life wouldn't feel so fleeting. If only I had this, things would not be so full of futility. For some of you, it's one of those things on that list. If we could just have more fun. If we could just have the money to eat at nicer restaurants. If I could just pursue my hobby to my great degree, if I just had this house or this yard or this land 
or these people who would help me or these possessions or this money or these experiences through entertainment or these relationships, then I would be fulfilled. I could bring heaven to earth. And for some of you, you it's not even about these things. You're if only, I just want to pursue them. For many of us that resonate with Solomon here, it's not even the getting of it that interests us. We just like the thrill of the chase. Here was an actual text to my wife this week in an Ecclesiastes moment. She's nervous. I need Jesus, but I want a big bowl of chips and salsa and to go to the movies and eat popcorn. And then go buy a guitar and play it alone on the back porch of my cabin in the mountain. None of the things which I have. But that was what's going on in my heart. (laughs) I need Jesus, but those things sound good right now. So we need the test results. Verses 10 through 11 give us these test results. In verse 10 we see Solomon says it was a lot of hard work to try out all that fun, and I tried it all. Whatever my eyes desired, verse 10, I I didn't keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my tool, and this was the reward for all my tool. So what he's saying is I had a good time, right? If any of you have ever thought the Bible is like trying to pull one over somebody and say you wouldn't have fun with all that stuff, it's not, right? It would be fun. He's just saying the fun only lasted as long as it lasted. They were good moments, but that's all that it was. It was a moment. This is what he's going to mean that nothing can be gained. That's what he's saying. He's not saying that there's not joy. He's not saying there's not a pleasure. But is there any real gain? Is life any less fleeting? Is life any less futile? Is life any less frustrating just because you get to have all those experiences? How does laughter fail? We could ask a couple people. Jim Carrey and Robin Williams. A couple guys who know a little bit about comedy. One of them who sadly committed suicide. Robin Williams, right? One of the funniest people history of the world. Can you imagine getting to be Robin Williams? It wasn't enough. Jim Carrey, I can't recommend it. I don't know if it would be appropriate, but there's a Netflix show about him that I watched recently. and This dude is, is wrestling with some stuff. Wine and food. I don't know as much about this person. Probably some of you do. Anthony Bourdain. Right? A guy who travels the world just to experience all the greatest food experiences. You read up a little on a person's life and the self-loathing spiral they find themselves in. Craftsmanship. Artistry. Extreme home makeover. Ty, I don't even, 
just reading. I just took some time this week to read about people who excelled and just to read of the troubles of their life. And there's good and bad, right? There's down times, there's up times. But what we see is that that doesn't take away the frustrating, feeling, fleeting, futile realities of life. One writer says this, human hands can create words on a page, airplanes, and marvelous towers. But our creativity cannot stop airplanes from flying into two such towers in order to live out someone's poetry. Artwork hung on the walls that day while the rubble crashed into the city on September 11th. Similarly, in time, a foreign power would occupy, own, and trash Solomon's great works. If you keep reading in the story of the Old Testament... All the things that Solomon built are destroyed. How do houses and land and nature fare against the futility of the world? Well, they just can't bring paradise. A part of our story is one day we got about as close in our lives to this type of paradise as we could. And I'll just tell you from my experience, it will not fulfill your heart. Possessions and money fail. Many people say, well, money can't make you happy, but guess what? It can buy a jet ski. What that reveals is, man, we really have some low standards for our lives, don't we? Imagine a man or a woman in a coffin and the pictures of the jet ski. He who dies with the most toys wins. It's been one of the phrases in our culture. No, he dies. The toys don't save him. The toys don't cure the cancer. The toys don't reconcile relationships in his family. And it may be a cliche, but it's true. There are no U-Hauls behind hearses. There was an article speaking of a younger generation today. I guess I'm not in it anymore. That, like I said a minute ago, they don't want possessions. They just want experiences, right? Big tiny house movement and all of this stuff, right? Why own things? It's this pointless. We agree with Solomon. But Solomon also went the experience route. The sports route, right? I mean, Chris can resonate with this. You only watch your high school highlight videos so much, right? And then before you know it, you're sitting at Wendy's eating a Frosty with your kids, and it's spilled all over your lap. Who cares what your stats were in a sport? Relationships. All the pleasures there. The bad side of that, people get really hurt. But even within a marriage, and it's good, it still doesn't last. A great example of this is Tom Brady, a man who owns multi-million dollar homes, has a car collection beyond our wildest dreams, also has a wife who is a Victoria's Secret model. He himself is a model. And he's won five Super Bowls. Pretty close to a modern-day Solomon. In an interview, he said, 
Why do I have, this was when he just won three Super Bowls, you know, back when life was tough. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think that there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. But me, I think, there's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be all that it's cracked up to be. And when the interviewer asked, what's the answer? Brady could only say, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. Tom Brady. It wasn't enough. It's not enough. Sometimes we think we'll be the exception, and so we resist this reality. We don't let ourselves feel the reality of what God's Word is telling us here, and even the experiences of those who are honest in our world resonate with, and so we resist this by doubling down, right? We had watched the Trolls holiday movie, right? We're having a lot of fun, but it's not really working, so what does Poppy do, right? Let's double down, right? Either go big or go home. Let's go bigger. That's what some of you do, right? It's like, this isn't satisfying me. I must just need more. Others of us, we live our lives, we use possessions and pleasures to distract us or divert us from reality. So that didn't work. I'm not going to double down on that, but I'm going to distract myself with the next thing. Or it's denial. We keep telling ourselves, you know, it's not that bad. Or it's depression because we realize it is that bad. And I've had all this stuff, and it doesn't fulfill me. And then our body catches up with that, and then our body just starts to quit and start to say no. That's what Jim Carrey talks about. He said that's, that's what depression, how he defines it, is when your body says, I'm no longer going to cooperate with your fake attempt to be someone that you're not. The way of the hedonist that pursues the meaning in life through pleasures fails into either a cycle that enslaves you, depresses you, or leads you to live a life of denial. There's nothing big enough in the world to satisfy our desires. So this is why Solomon says this is a vanity, a striving after the wind. There's nothing to be gained under the sun that we must have something, even more, someone who is bigger than this fallen world. That our life becomes centered around and that all the things in this world, whether good or bad, be submitted to. And we know that that person is Jesus. When we're talking about the real Jesus, we're talking about a Jesus who doesn't come to kill our joy, but comes to give us greater joy. We're talking about a Jesus who not only can save us, but who can satisfy us. We're talking about a Jesus that not only we just mentally give some faith to for some idea of some afterlife, but we give our lives to now because we believe that He can fulfill us. He can hold us, even in this world, of futile, frustrated, fleeting experiences. He knows our longings. He wants to give us a better laughter, a deeper laughter, a deeper joy that can last 
a better drink. He says, come all you who are thirsty and I will give you water. Water that lasts. The better craftsman, the creator of all of creation, the most creative person in all of the world, a better place, a better house, a better land, a better possession kept in heaven, a better money, a better treasure, an inheritance, a better entertainment that is deeper and more lasting than just a moment and a better relationship whose love will never grow cold, whose faithfulness will never fail, whose intimacy will never be manipulative or never be momentary. This is the greater hope that all the joys in this earth point to. But before we follow Jesus into those better experiences of pleasure, then we must most receive first what He has done for us in our worship of it. We're Adam and Eve in the garden saying, God, You're not enough. You've given us the whole world to enjoy, but the one thing You tell us not to, that's where we're going to go look for it at. But the good news of Jesus is that He was not distracting Himself with other things. He wasn't living in denial of reality. But as we read earlier, the one who was rich beyond all comparison, the King of kings, became poor so that we might now have His riches. He wasn't detached. He didn't see the pain of the world and say, wow, I've got to numb myself from that. But instead, He went to the cross and He took upon Himself the curse of sin, death, and hell. He took upon Himself the futility, the frustration, the fleetingness that this world of sin and disorder bring, and He did it in our place. We deserve eternal frustration and futility. But now Jesus has took that on Himself and gives us an eternity of hope. And an eternity that breaks into the present so that we can have joy in all the things Solomon listed, rightly submitted to the Lordship of Christ. So if you're thinking the end of this message is, well, I just don't need to have fun or enjoy life, but just go pray. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us to have joy in this world, but submit those joys to Jesus so that we don't look to them to give us a meaning they will never give us. You ever been to the beach and you build a sandcastle? Now, the first time you build a sandcastle, it can be a devastating experience because you may not realize what's going to happen when you come out there the next morning. Where's the sandcastle going to be? Well, if you build it usually where I do, maybe you're better at sandcastle. It's not going to be there anymore. It's going to be gone. If you don't understand how sandcastles work, your life is going to be super disappointing when it comes to sandcastles. If you understand this sandcastle will be gone in the morning, then guess what? When it's gone in the morning, you're not devastated. 
because you knew how sandcastles work. This is what Solomon is saying to us. If you build your life as a sandcastle full of pleasures and possessions and projects and you think that's going to last, that's going to hold me, that's going to give me significance, that every morning I can get up and walk out there and look at that thing and say, my life matters. And you're going to be supremely disappointed. But if you realize that sandcastle is not enough to do that, does that mean you don't build sandcastles anymore? No. Now you can go build an awesome sandcastle and have fun with everybody you're building it with or just by yourself and enjoy it. And you can be like, I know it's going to be gone tomorrow, but my life's not that sandcastle. You're actually freed now to enjoy life more. Because life now is not found in the sum of those possessions, but it's found in the Lordship of Christ. You can laugh, not to distract yourself, not to degrade others, but just to have fun and to love others. You can drink and eat, not to numb yourself from life, but to give thanks to God. You can be a craftsman. Chris can go out to the shop and he can say, this might all burn down tonight. But tomorrow morning, Jesus will be on the throne. I'm going to go in here and make the best knife that I could make with all of my power, but realize that's all it is. I can, Cody can go home and he can play his guitar, his beautiful Telecaster. And if it's gone tomorrow, Jesus is still enough. And all of you fill in the blanks with whatever it is. When Jesus is Lord, then we're free to actually enjoy stuff instead of letting it possess us. Imagine if we really believed this. I don't think we would be the, the sour puss Christians walking around, but we would be the ones who had the most fun, the most joy but we were also the most generous, we were the most loving, the most sacrificial, the most free. Because we found a better fulfillment in Jesus than any possession or pleasure this world 